Welcome to Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast with Eric Wolf and Ashi Vale, where we help you become a better industry professional by gaining inspiration from some of the world's most successful people in the food and beverage tourism industry. With each episode, we meet these leaders and examine their secrets of success. We reveal the obstacles and challenges they have faced, along with their solutions and triumphs, and give you ideas and inspirations for many of the same business issues that you may be facing as well. And now for today's episode. This month's episode is brought to you by World Food Travel Market, the world's first and only dedicated business-to-business marketplace connecting food and beverage tour operators, tourist guides, travel sellers, and related businesses in the food and beverage travel trade. Join today at worldfoodtravelmarket.com. Welcome. I'm Eric Wolf, and I'll be your host today for episode 37 of Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast. Normally, I would be joined by my co-host, Ashi Vale, who is on maternity leave for the next few episodes. Today we'll be speaking with Martina Yamrek. Martina is lucky enough to work in tourism in London, where she represents her home country, Austria. While her professional world naturally evolves around promoting her homeland, the rest of her life evolves around sports, more specifically around football or soccer for the Americans, and everything that comes with it, the passion, the enthusiasm, the singing, and of course, the community involvement. Originally from the south of Austria's countryside, Martina is now enjoying her life in the big city. Welcome, Martina. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great to talk to you. Austria is a beautiful country. It is, I, I love the mountains, I love the food, I love the music that comes from Austria. You come from a very special place. I know, um, and I'm really proud of my country because Austria is really, the quality of life is great. Um, the food, as you mentioned, which most people don't know, is really good. It's more than just dumplings and Wiener schnitzel. The people there are just very nice and friendly people. Tell us a little bit about Austrian food, because I think apart from Wiener Schnitzel and maybe Sachertorte, I don't know that people really know what Austria is known for. Well, that's one of the issues we have is that most people just know us for dumplings, uh, Wiener Schnitzel and um, unhealthy food. But uh, it's quite the opposite. Um, we have a young, uh, vibrant food scene, chefs who travel the world and then come back home and bring all the influences back. So they mix the experiences of the food they have from abroad with the local food. And usually the food comes directly from, from the local region. So peop- if you eat in a restaurant or stay in a hotel in Austria, the food usually it's locally sourced. It comes, so to say, from the farm next door. So it's usually quite healthy and organic food. What's your favorite Austrian dish? It's a dish from my home region. It's Kärntner noodle, which is a kind of a tortellini filled with cheese and a mint filling, cheese, potato, mint filling, I would say. It doesn't sound that tasty, but it's really delicious with a bit of butter on top of it and uh, it's really great and obviously anything sweet I love any anything sweet well it sounds actually quite tasty and I was going to ask you what the sauce is it's, it's just a little bit of butter on top it depends some people when I was smaller or a child I used to eat it with sugar on top of it but nowadays I eat it with butter yeah <laughs> you've upgraded your taste right <laughs> exactly Nice, nice. Well, when I was reading a little bit about you, I discovered that you were from a very small town in the mountains with only about a thousand people. And when you were growing up, you didn't have internet and you also didn't have a phone until you were nine. Is that right? That's right. I grew up on a little farm in, in a mountain village um, with 
I think now it's just 800 people spread over the whole area. And uh, we didn't have internet, obviously, until I was probably 18, 19. And then the first phone we got was when I was around nine or 10. But I didn't really miss it because it was more important for me to go outside, play outside with my younger brother, with my cousins. So that was really important. If I was stuck inside, I just hated it. I think my grandma who looked after us was enjoying sunshine as well because we could spend time outside as well. Well, to hear you describe your town, I'm thinking sound of music in my head. Is, it, is that kind of a fair assessment? Well, most foreign people or Americans and British people think about Austria and the sound of music and everything looks as nice and beautiful as in the sound of music. And I think it's true. It is really beautiful. It's very quiet. You have this lush green mountains, but we don't sing all the time. So that's the difference. <laughs> Do you wear lederhosen or is that just a Southern Germany thing? We wear lederhosen and the girls wear the dirndl, which is just the traditional dress. And that's quite popular nowadays. So we definitely wear that. Nice. Well, now it's interesting because you have grown up really straddling the analog world and the digital world. So before you had the internet and phone, you had to focus on people and those specific relationships. And then as the internet and phone became available to you, the nature of your relationships change. So now that you're older and you can reflect back upon that, do you think it's important for people to step away from technology or do you think it's only made life better for you now? Sometimes you definitely have to step back. For example, I was recently on a holiday in the north of England with no phone access and I really enjoyed the time because sometimes it's just important that you switch off, get away from it. On the other hand, obviously, the digital world is important uh, for us and it makes uh, things easier. So you have to find the balance. But it's important that sometimes you just switch off and turn everything off. No, I agree. It's, it's true. It is important to switch off when you can. It's interesting. I think you were saying that someone was saying something about people who come from your background wouldn't wouldn't do well in bigger cities or something like that. Could you tell us that story? Because obviously you're living in London now. You're you're doing quite well. You seem quite happy. And so whoever was saying that was was wrong. Can you tell us what they said and how you overcame that? Well, at the beginning, it was at the beginning of my work life. Someone told me that people with my background, so coming from a farm, would never be able to move confidently in, in a certain uh, social circles. Although I think at that moment I was really shocked and I started to question my abilities, but I didn't feel that my upbringing on a farm is a disadvantage. I also saw it as a snub against the, the whole profession of the farmers. I think that growing up on a farm can teach you a lot about some of the most demanding qualities to have for, for a later management role. Um, for example, the appreciation for hard work or the time management or prioritizing things. So I think I showed that person that a little girl from a little farm on a little mountain can succeed in life and become a director of a tourist board in, a, in one of the biggest cities of the world. 
Very much so. And it's interesting you're talking about what you learned on the farm and how that translates to management, because I understand that you are a big fan of sports. Obviously, you're, you're a big fan of football. And I think it's those sports that the, those team sports that help people to build that camaraderie and how to understand how to work with others and so on. What did you learn from your interest in sports and, and being engaged in sports? Well, I like uh, football or soccer. I like one team in London, which is the best team ever. It's Arsenal. I have to mention it. Sorry. I've learned that you can just succeed as a team. Obviously, you always have a star person. In football, it's a striker who is responsible for the goals. But a striker alone can't win a game. You need the whole team working together, working for one common goal, and then you can succeed and win something. And especially with football or sports in general, it's, it's more about it. It's not just the sports. It's also the things they do off the field, off the pitch. So every sports team has a kind of a foundation with it. And they support the local communities. They help people and just improve uh, people's life. And you have a degree in sports management. Was that right? I have studied... Um, the business of uh, football or sports management and the business of football. Okay. And what did that teach you? Exactly that. Uh, my dissertation was about the value of Arsenal in the community. I wanted to show that a sports team is more than just a team on the field. And I uh, proved that the work they do is worth a lot of money for people who just think about the money. What I learned is that it's not just about the success on the field, also the work off the field is important. And that's what I talked about in my dissertation, which talked about the value of Arsenal in the, in the community. And I just wanted to show that there is more to sports than just the team on the field. And I kind of proved it and showed that the value or the work they do, not just Arsenal, but also other sports clubs, that they help people and they just support the local community. And that's the, the value of the sports for me and, and sports in general. Did you play football yourself? At home with my brother and my cousins, but I was horrible. <laughs> and... When I was younger, women and football didn't really mix that well, or there was no women's team in my area, so I didn't uh, play it. And as I said, I wasn't that good. Yeah, I, I share that. I do not have the sports gene at all. Now, it's interesting. You were talking about how back home, women and football did not really mix. And I understand that your mother was extremely independent, and she was an inspiration for you to be the independent woman that you are today. That's true. My mother and I have a bit of a tricky relationship, but I always think that she helped me to be the woman I am today. Because in Austria, 20, 30 years back, a woman usually stayed at home, especially if you have a farm at home. And my mother was different from the beginning. She was always independent, was going to work, uh, had her own money, went on holidays. And I think that's what she teached me, uh, this to be independent. Um, and you have to enjoy life, obviously, as well. Yeah, I imagine so. And 
how the world has changed to think back on, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago and, and how things used to be versus how they are now. And I guess you had to, to go to a bigger city like London to be the kind of person you wanted to be. Yes, that's true. It was a very difficult journey for me because I'm usually very quiet and a shy person. So when I first moved away, it was just to another city in Austria. I really uh, had problems and I thought of giving up. But then after I talked with my mom, I went through with it. And I'm really happy that I went through with it because otherwise I wouldn't be living in London, which is one of the greatest cities uh, in the world. You have cultures or people from all over the world. You can have different food every day. Next to our office, we have a local food market where I can really go have Asian food one day, the next food I can have a Mexican. So the diversity in London is just amazing. You know, I've always thought it would be fun to try and eat a different cuisine every day for a year in London. Do you think that's possible? For a year might be difficult, but I think you could do it. So I have to ask you, beer or wine? White wine. White wine. What, what kind of white wine? Well, Austrian, of course, right? Yeah, more the uh, sweeter wine. I have a sweet tooth, so everything's sweet. And we have really good, I don't know if it's the same in English, it's called Eiswein, which is a dessert wine. And it's, uh, it's very sweet, but very, very good. Yeah, yeah, Eiswein for sure. And some of my favorite white wines are the Grüner Weltliner. That's also very good. You have to get the right one, obviously, because it can be quite sour. But then we have really nice ones as well. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Do you think a lot of people know about Austrian wines? I guess some people who are really into wines know about Austrian wines, but it's always seemed to me as, as one of those countries where the wines kind of were under the radar a little bit. Yes, that's definitely true, because I see it in the past couple of years. I think it's more and more popular even in London restaurants, but we don't produce that much wine in Austria, so we can't export that much wine. That's why probably not a lot of people know about Austrian wine. Mm. I experienced the same in Switzerland. I had a, a stunning white wine from Switzerland, and no one thinks of Switzerland for wine, but their argument was the same, that the production is so small that they really don't export that much. Exactly. You have to come to the country and enjoy it. And that's one of the best reasons for food or beverage tourism is that there are certain products that you can only get when you visit that they're not exported. Exactly. And that's why food and tourism mix very well together, because food is always the reason why people go to a different country. Is there an Austrian product that everyone in the world would know that's exported, a food or beverage product? Oh, that's a good question. Well, everyone knows that Wiener Schnitzel comes from Austria. I'm not sure. I guess if people mimic a soccer tort, they would know that that's Austrian. Oh, yeah, Sachertorte, obviously. It's a chocolate cake. I know it's well known around the world. And I'm saying something which I probably shouldn't, but I prefer, for example, a British chocolate cake because it's softer. And the Sacher cake is probably just, it's a nice cake, but it's not the best chocolate cake I've eaten. 
It was not the best for you. And now I, yeah. I would have to argue with you on that one because I do like the Sokka Torta. I like the denser cake, the really rich, intense chocolate. And of course the raspberry filling is lovely. And to me, the British cakes are too spongy and I don't know, they just, they don't do it for me, but that's what's great about people because we're, we're different and we have different likes, right? Exactly. And with the Sacha cake, you mentioned the apricot or apricot um, jam. If you have enough of it, then the cake is better. And there are different brands, obviously. But if you have enough jam, then it's better. If you just have the traditional, the original cake, for me, it's too dry. But as you said, there are different tastes, which, which is great. Now, they serve it with whipped cream, don't they? Yes, whipped cream. So that helps to moisten it a little bit. Exactly. And that's very important. If you don't get the whipped cream with it, then something is missing. Yeah. Yeah. That could be a little dry. I, I could certainly see that for sure. But yeah, no, I, I like it. I, I think that people, they think about Viennese pastries. Yeah. And I think those are something else. So not just the cake, but actual pastries, even though they're often called Danish pastries in English, but they're really yeah. Viennese pastries, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> the, the Danish pastries, they are one of the best things in Austria. Um, there is something called the Topfengolatschen, which is a kind of a cheese-filled pastry. And that's something I always have when I travel to Austria. So the first thing when I step out of the plane is go to the next shop and buy this, this cheese uh, pastry. It's a sweet pastry and that then makes my, my day. Nice. Yes. Cause you have that sweet tooth, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. Well, let's talk about food and travel. Now I understand that you've been to Sri Lanka and some other places. What have you learned through experiencing food while traveling? Well, in Sri Lanka, for example, I did an internship and the hosts uh, cooked for us and the curry they made was just amazing. But they called it a special curry for foreigners because it wasn't that spicy. I think when you go to a country, the food locals eat and the food tourists get is sometimes different just because you have to adjust and serve serve food which is not too spicy for example but i love the food in the end uh, in in sri lanka especially the original version of the curry which was just amazing yeah i think sometimes cuisines can benefit from having kind of a transition type food i did a interview last week with people in malaysia and they were asking what they should do with their cuisine and i think sometimes for certain people, some of the curries especially, can be way too hot for some people. And they need that kind of transition dish. But then for other people like you or for me, just bring me the original. It's, it's hot and I love it and, and that's good. How do you feel about those transition dishes? Do you feel like the culture is dumbing itself down for Westerners or do you feel like it's, it's making it more approachable? I think it's making it more approachable. I think you need it at the beginning for the people. And in a, a hotel restaurant, you usually get this food. But then if you just uh, look around in the city, you always find the traditional places. So you can have both. You can have the safer version for tourists and then the original version for people who like to experience the real 
uh, food of the country. Yeah, you said the safer version. I think sometimes certain foods just aren't for everyone. I, I watch a couple food blogger or vlogger, I guess, shows on YouTube. There's this one guy, Sunnyside. Have you ever watched his shows? Uh, no, I don't know him. The guy is hilarious. He, he lives in Vietnam. I think he's American, but he has this cheeky sense of humor and he's really hilarious to watch. And he eats a lot of things I would not even touch. I mean, certain parts of animals, certain animals or insects or all different kinds of things. And I don't think I, I would be brave enough to try those. Have you ever tried anything like, I don't know, fried tarantulas or scorpions or anything? No, I would never, ever eat spider. I'm really afraid of spiders, so I would never touch a spider. And I like to try new food, but I'm also someone who is more traditional. If it's too strange, I probably wouldn't eat it. Mm. Well, I have a get out clause because I'm largely vegetarian right now. When I go on my trips, I'll often just say I'm vegetarian, and that way I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Uh, however, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm definitely not a vegetarian, although I should be a vegetarian, but I'm not. I don't know. I find that as I get older, the body just craves more vegetable foods and less meat. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely, because I've changed uh, my diet in the last couple of years as well. I didn't really eat uh, vegetables a couple of years ago, and now I've started to eat more healthy food. I try to buy organic food uh, whenever I can, and you definitely uh, look more at your diet when you're getting older because you just want to kind of live longer and hope that through healthy food you will do so. Yeah, you look at the food that's produced in factories these days and it's a little shocking some of the things that pass for food i i don't know i it almost borderlines on criminal behavior sometimes when you see what the ingredients are exactly and i think coming from a farm i know where the food comes from i know how it's made and i know how it should taste and i first experienced or saw the difference when I moved away and was studying and bought the first meat I ever bought in a supermarket. And obviously being a student, I bought the cheaper version, but I could taste the difference straight away. That's why I always, I pay a bit more, but then I have, I'm sure that the food is good, that the animals were kept safe because that's important obviously as well. Yes, that's the way I do it at the moment. Yeah, I think quality, not quantity, is the moral of the story there. Exactly, yeah. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about something fun, like maybe a favorite book of yours. Well, one of my favorite books is uh, The Alchemist from Paolo Coelho. Um, I love all his books, more or less. And that's a book about someone who pursues his dreams or follow, uh, follows his heart and learns a lot on the journey. So it's more about the experiences he has on the journey than, than the initial thought of getting uh, a treasure. It almost sounds a little bit like your life where you, you followed a journey and learned along the way. Yeah, probably. That's probably why I like the book. Um, it shows that you just have to follow your dreams, follow your instincts, and maybe don't go 
the way which is straight in front of you. Go to the left side, to the right side, and then you will see something really exciting, something new. Mm. You mentioned the word dreams, and I think that that is a key word in a quote that you love. Do you want to tell us what that is? One of my favorite quotes is, believe in the magic of your dreams because it's more possible than it seems. I don't know where I have it from. I just read it somewhere and it's kind of my motto at the moment uh, because, as I said, it's everyone can reach their goals. Everyone can fulfill the potential they have and can make their dreams reality as long as you work hard and, and follow it. Yeah, I like that. That's that's cool. Let's fast forward in your career, maybe 20 or 30 years down the road. And have you thought about a legacy that you want to leave behind in life? Well, I always wanted to leave something big, something important. I wanted to achieve, achieve something great. But I think what I've learned the last couple of years is that it's actually the small things which are important. For example, if you help uh, a mummy carrying up the buggy up the stairs or smile at a person, open a door for a person, and these small things add up and improve the lives of other people in that moment. And hopefully I can improve the, the lives of other people or put a smile on their faces. I like that. It's like the sum of small things. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think a lot of times we do forget about the small things do add up or the small things are overlooked. And something as simple as smiling at someone and letting them know that you acknowledge them, I mean, something like that can completely transform someone's day. Exactly. A smile has a lot of power. And as soon as you smile at another person, they open up, smile maybe back or even if not, they will probably think about you. Oh, why did she smile at you? And then I think you improve lives. Yeah, and I imagine you probably have a lot of memories from childhood about how people used to be, how people would treat each other, the respect and so on. And unfortunately, a lot of that, I think, has kind of been forgotten in the bigger cities that are less personal. But I don't know. I think it's people like you who help us to remember those things that are important. Do you ever feel lonely sometimes in the big city? Because you are a, a, a woman from a smaller place, but you still have those values. So do you ever feel alone sometimes? Obviously, yes. Especially in London, you can, it can be dangerous to feel lonely, especially when you move to London and then you don't know the people. But that's also the beauty about London, because people from all over the world live in London. You can meet people, new people every day, and they don't judge you. It doesn't matter how you look what you believe in. As long as you treat them with, with respect, they will do the same. So I think... It's difficult. On the one hand, London is big and huge and people don't look at you and you can feel lonely. But on the other hand, it's, it's a city where you will not be judged. You've mentioned a couple of times that London is a place that's very open, it's tolerant, that you can be who you want to be that people don't really judge. And I think that's true. I mean, I've, I've seen so many crazy things in London and it just is. People don't look down on it. But how do you think that compares to other 
big cities that might be looked at in that kind of way. I mean, people could say the same thing about New York or San Francisco or Sydney. What do you think it is about London that makes it a little bit different from those other cities? Well, I've lived in Berlin as well, and it's kind of similar, but it's not. London is just because it's really a melting pot. You can find Americans here, Mexicans here, Asians here, Austrians, and people just get along with each other. It's strange. I can't explain it. It might be the same in New York, but I think in New York, I just was there as a tourist and the atmosphere is a bit different. It's more business orientated and London is a bit more relaxed, a bit more open. That's my opinion. But I would agree with that. I've lived in New York and I think there's something about the tall buildings towering over you and the speed of the taxis going down the straight roads that you just get this frenetic pace of life that you can't get out of your system. And I think London with the the roundabouts and the curved roads and the smaller streets and the shorter buildings, it's just, I don't know, you, you have to take life more slowly and life has evolved differently there. And I don't know, it just has a very different feel or vibe about it. I think the advantage of London is also that it has a lot of green spaces and even if it's a big city, you always have these little quarters in a city, in the city where you feel like in a village, it's a community in itself. So that's probably the difference to a city like New York because London just grew and it's not, you have these old buildings, then the new buildings, you have the city of London, but then also the outskirts. You still have a bit of tradition from old times in London, which you might not have in New York. And obviously you have the British people in London, which are just, they are always friendly. They are always helpful. It's amazing. I don't know how they do it, but they always also smile at you and they are just great. I agree with that. But I think that the British people living in London are a little bit different than elsewhere in the country. I've noticed a couple times in London, people were extremely friendly or helpful. For example, I was trying to carry my suitcase down the stairs in the tube. And on two separate occasions, people helped me. And I could tell from their accent that they were English. They weren't from somewhere else. And I don't even think anyone in New York would ever do anything like that. They just walk around you and let you get on with yourself. But in London, no, people, they were, uh, they did take the time, I think, to, to help and stop. Exactly. And that's something one of my friends who was visiting me from Vienna, she told me the same. Because in Vienna, Austrians are friendly in, in general as well. But I think they wouldn't necessarily carry up the luggage for you. And in, in London, every time someone sees a mom carrying up the buggy or an older lady or even a younger person with two suitcases, uh, there will always be someone uh, helping you or offer you help. You're absolutely right. I have seen it on several occasions. It wasn't just the two times it happened to me, but I have seen people helping people carry the prams and luggage as well. So yeah, it does happen often. London is a special place. I, I really enjoy living in the area. The time I lived in New York was, was great. It was fun. I learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. But it just seems like London is more the kind of place where I feel at home. Does that make sense? Yes, because I feel the same. I yeah. didn't think that I could live in London in a big city for forever. 
but I just feel at home, which is big for me because I always thought I will return to Austria, to my home country, but now I'm not that sure anymore because London is my home. Well, you can always catch a flight. Well, you will be able to catch a flight back home and, and visit as you want. Exactly. It's just two hours away. Yeah. How are you holding up with all the pandemic stuff? Are you staying sane? Well, I was lucky enough to fly home during the, uh, uh, in May. So I had a break in between. So I'm not feeling that overwhelmed because of this break in between. Yeah, you're lucky. I had to fly to Barcelona last month and it was a surreal experience. It was so strange. I did a YouTube video overview of my entire experience because things like empty airports, no lines or queues for anything. It was people wearing masks everywhere. It was just, it was like a, something from a dystopian future. Yeah. And when I flew to Austria, um, the police was waiting for us outside the plane so that everyone had to wear a mask. Uh, they took care that everything was according to the regulation. They measured our temperature. You had to fill out forms. It was completely empty, the airport, and quite dark. So it was really a strange feeling. Yeah, let's hope that this solves itself quickly because I think everyone would like life to return to normal once again. Yeah, I think we have to wait for the vaccination for it. Yes, but meanwhile, we can still cook our favorite dishes at home, can't we? Exactly. And that's one of the only things I can cook, my favorite dish. If you could say that there was any silver lining in this cloud of the pandemic, it has been that people have been cooking at home and people have been going back to family recipes and asking their parents and their grandparents for those dishes. You know, they asked their dad, how did you cook the barbecue? Or they asked their grandmom, hey, what is the recipe for those Christmas biscuits that you made? That I think is fantastic because it helps to preserve the culinary culture. That's true. It has something positive as well. Are you making Austrian dishes at home? Well, I can't really. I'm not a very good cook. And I'm really happy that we can go outside again, that I can go to pubs. It was amazing. My first burger was just so good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'm not the best cook. That's why I prefer to go outside. Yeah, it makes you appreciate what, what we do have when we have it. Yeah. Well, Martina, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. I feel like I would love to come back to Austria and just breathe the mountain air again and have a, a piece of authentic Sachertor with a Schlagsana on top, of course. Maybe that will be in my cards for next year. But I would like to thank you for taking the time to chat with us today and remind everyone about those smaller things in life, the sum of small things that makes life so important. So thank you again, Martina. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening today. The Eat Well, Travel Better podcast is brought to you by the World Food Travel Association, the world's leading authority on food and beverage tourism. Our mission is to preserve and promote culinary cultures through hospitality and travel. By doing so, we empower local communities and entrepreneurs with the knowledge and tools needed to reach new food lovers and gain a competitive edge. Founded in 2003, now each year we shepherd a community of 200,000 professionals in more than 100 countries. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and you can learn more about us subscribe to our newsletter and join our family at worldfoodtravel.org. Until next time, eat well and travel better.